Welcome to the Talk and Chatter Experience, powered by Gasoline Alley, Harley Davidson. Today's guest is Moto America Superbike racer, Kyle Wyman. Welcome, mate. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Good, man. Really, really good. Who, uh, who's Kyle Wyman? Uh, he's a motorcycle racer, runs a race team. Uh, he's been doing it for quite a while, entering my 10th season here in uh, running KWR. So that's what I do, man. That's it. Why, why did you go about the team option from the start? at that point well i mean it, it, it was really uh you know a pickup truck and a motorcycle just trying to go racing that's it it's just yeah. the need to go racing and and uh whatever that was going to take so you know, i've never really ridden for any other teams you know maybe a couple little things here and there but um you know, i was 20 years old just kind of going out my own and just figuring that out and uh yeah just just started with the harley extra 1200 series yeah when i was you know racing that class back then and uh just been kind of growing it from there. Do you um do you have like a background in marketing or something like that with your outside work? Because like <laughs> consistently, your liveries always have looked good. Everything's always presented so well. Obviously, being your own thing, you do that. But uh, do you have some sort of background in that? I don't honestly. Um, mm. But but yeah, I do all the design work of everything, and uh, you know everything is just born out of necessity. You know, just yeah. whatever it takes. It's like okay, I want to go racing. I'm going to need a bike. I'm going to yep. get a truck. Okay, the truck doesn't look that good. I need it to look better. How's it going to look better? Well, I got to design something. How do I design something? Figure out how to yeah. design. You know, it's just a it's just a working process of just what's what's needed. And now, yeah, I definitely, uh, you know, getting the hang of, hang of some things. Um, I guess you could say I have a background in marketing now because, of, you know, yeah. everything I've been doing with the team. So, but no, yeah, design the liveries, write all the press releases. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I got to. I got a two-year associate's degree in business administration, so I do have a college degree, but uh, it doesn't carry over that much to motorcycle racing. Yeah, what what you so. like? Yeah, for me, looking at your your team and coming from Australia, looking at the livery and stuff of your bike, it is it's probably the best looking V four currently in the world. Appreciate that. So. Yeah, I appreciate that. It was so funny when I first. You know, at the beginning of last year, I, I didn't have a livery on the bike until the third race because we everything everything came so late. We just had this full carbon black bike, and yeah. and uh, GP1, an Italian magazine, was covering you know our series and the progress of my team with the Ducati coming back in America. And uh, when when the livery came out, they said it was a very American livery, and I don't oh, know really? what that means, <laughs> but uh, to the Italians, apparently, I made a very American livery out of their Ducati V4R. Ah, that's so funny. Hey, they have such a different take on it. And I guess you yeah. see that coming through the bikes and that as well. But uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it's I, I do a lot of work for the team here, the race team in Australia for Ducati. And um, yeah, that, that one of yours looks looks incredible. So I appreciate it. Well, we're going to switch all... it up next year. We'll see what happens. Oh, really? Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll cool. See. Where did it all start for you? Uh, God, I mean, I, I grew up in a Harley Davidson dealership. My yep. whole family. So my grandfather started a dealership back in uh, 62. Wow. So that was way early on in, in Harley Davidson. So um, family dealership's been around since then and uh, grew up around that, was bound to be a flat tracker. So got a bike when I was five years old, PW50, riding around in the backyard and then did my first flat track rate race when I was eight. And we just progressed through the amateur nationals here. And we go to Springfield every year when I was 11, 12 years old and race against all the best amateurs in the country and then turned pro when I was 16 in flat track. And I raced three years of AMA pro flat track before I ever did any road racing. Yep. So definitely a big background in flat track racing. And that's something you like you have to have really, isn't it? As, as a foundation for road racing, really? Yeah, it's it's good. I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, the top level guys in our series came from flat track. I mean, like Bobby Fong, I raced against him at Amateur Nationals back in 2002, you wow. know, and uh, like J.D. Beach and all these guys, the Gillums, like I grew up around those guys for, for so long and a lot of the current pro flat trackers, too. So there's there's quite a crop of, uh, you know, kids that came up through those Amateur Nationals and, and Pro Sports Series races. Back when you were on the Peewee or PW50, as you say, over there, were you a natural? Did you did you click or were you just a kid that was just rolling around a paddock? What was it like? Oh, I don't know. I mean, uh, it was it was definitely – there was definitely moments in my 
you know, amateur career where I, there was breakthroughs. It's kind of like, uh, like progressing in this sport is like a kind of a staircase. You kind of at a level and then you make kind of a breakthrough and you, and you bring yourself to another level. And, um, I definitely was, I had some good success when I was like 13, 14 years old, started winning a lot around, uh, around the local races. And that's when I understood I could race against faster people and understood what they needed to, you know, what they were doing to go even quicker and how much time and effort and commitment they put, put into it. And I think I was fortunate enough to realize at a pretty early age that like, if you want this, you're going to have to work for it, you know? So, you know, I, I, I definitely feel like, um, you know, I've, I've put in some time into really specific, you know, working on things all the way back from when I was, you know, 14 years old, thinking about it that way. Does your, does your family still have the dealership, uh, over there? Yeah. My mom has it. It's a Harv Charlie Davidson up in Rochester, New York. And, uh, me and my brothers who will both race also in Moto America series. We all live on the West coast now and we're not involved in the dealership very much, but, um, it's definitely still part. It's still running. It's still yeah. up there in New York. What was it like growing up there? Like around the Harley Davidson dealership in the nineties? Well, it was, I mean, yeah, the nineties were, were crazy for Harley, you know, yeah. um, pretty unique situation with our dealership because it's out in the kind of out in the country and our house was actually up on a hill behind it. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So it was all on the same property and my grandfather's house was across the street. Um, it's really interesting how it's all kind of laid out where it's not really in a, you know, an urban area at all. There's, you know, there's country roads that head out to it. It's kind of in the, not in the middle of nowhere, but it's, um, it's out there. So, you know, living on the same property as the dealership, that's where the school bus picked me up and dropped me off every day was in front of the dealership. Wow. So totally lived it. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to the shop today. It's like, it's right there in the front yard. So definitely a unique situation. Yeah, definitely. You sort of, you're in, you are the shop. You know, you, you're always at yeah, the shop. You just become it, I guess. Eh? It, it's one and the same, for sure. So where are you basing yourself out of now? I'm in Tucson, Arizona. Yep. And moved out here at the end of 2015. Uh, we teach the Yamaha Champion School out at this track called Indy Motorsports Ranch, which is a sponsor of mine. I'm a member out there. That's about an hour from where I live now. So that's just, it's the perfect training ground. We go out there and uh, and ride and, and coach, do one-on-one coaching. And uh, it's, that's really one of the reasons I moved out here and then also to kind of escape the snow. So, <laughs> Yeah, I guess Arizona, you'd, you'd still get a good climate across the year, hey? A bit of a difference across the year? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's seriously hot in the summer, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but we're traveling during the summer anyway and going all the different racetracks, so it's all good. So how was your junior series, junior flat track series? How, how did you find your time there? Enjoy it? Three, three years, was it? Uh, in, in pro flat track, in yeah, pro, from yeah. 2006 to 2008, I ran, uh, I ran pro sport. Now that now flat track has, you know, singles and twins all together in one series. But back then they didn't have singles classes running at the nationals. So it was the first ever time they, uh, they had the, pro sport invitational which i guess would be like pro singles now yeah and uh, that was at lima at the half mile in ohio and they invited like 15 of the kind of top pro sport riders and so i was the first i, I was the first winner of a of a singles event at a national at a twins national on a half mile and then eventually now it's it's every race has singles so that's pretty cool to see but that was kind of the class that i showed the most and then i I raced two years on the XR 750 and the twins as well. Yep. And had a couple top fives there in a couple podiums in the basic expert twins, which I guess would be kind of like the production twins they have now mm-hmm. um, on a restricted XR 750. So yeah, I got to, uh, you know, raced up in Canada a lot, Ohio did as many like outlaw, you know, nationals before we ended up switching road racing. Is the, um, were they good days riding the XR 750? Is it good fun? Yeah, man, I love that bike. It's just really? something. It's so raw, you know, carbureted twin. Um, yeah. Some of my best memories of riding a motorcycle or riding that XR750. It's just, there's just something about it. I miss it a little bit for sure. 
did you um did you get to keep those bikes from that era that bike is still at at the dealership up in new york uh it hasn't run since the indie mile in 2008 it's been wow. sitting ever since so it's kind of just on display as a collector's item don't they look cool still like they've still oh, got yeah. a, a really cool style to them you know yeah yeah they do so when you jumped into road racing what was the first bike you got into road racing on we got a 2006 GSXR 600, and the reason we went road racing was they had the Red Bull Rookies Cup in the U.S. in 2008, and I was already too old to try out for it. So I was already 18, 17 at that at that point during tryouts. And uh, but my middle brother Travis, he ended up making the team, so he ran the Red Bull Rookies in 2008 and went and tried that. And uh, you know when he made it, it's like oh let's go try this. So we got a secondhand gsxr and started racing weira club races around and you know we're novice and i was crashing a lot and didn't really you know didn't really know what we were doing i remember going to you know pulling up for my first race and this guy comes up next to me he's like hey you need to stay on your warmers longer before they you know before they call you out i was like what are warmers tire warmers you need tire warmers i was like i, I mean we were we were totally green to it and that was that was 12 years ago. So wow. gone from, yeah. So yeah, never really, I didn't road race till I was 18 years old. So a little bit of a late start compared to, you know, some of the guys I'm racing against now for sure. What did you think at the time? Like after getting off dirt to go racing a GSXR 600 around, what track do you remember was your first one for the Weary series? Do you remember? It was at Barber. Oh wow. And uh, yeah, it was at Barber. It was the very last Weary race at 2007, I think. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, we had no idea what we were doing. It was, it was yeah. total. I mean, I think it, it started raining and I was on, you know, dry tires and crashed and it was, it was total mess. But Is that um, uh, Alabama, Alabama, hey? Yes. Yeah. 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 Harbor Motorsports Park. So pretty um, technical place too, eh? To go to your first place. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely the full road race experience when you go to Barber. It's a uh, super wide you know, blind corners, it's a right-handed racetrack. So as a dirt tracker, I had to learn a lot of right-hand turns, you know, but, uh, now, you know, dirt track leather is just, just trying to figure it out. Wow. And, uh, how long did you stay in the 600 for? For quite a while. I, I, uh, I was a novice and then, uh, I got bumped up to expert halfway through the season as I started to get a hang of things. And, um, in 2009 is when DMG took over AMA road racing mm. and they came out with a kind of a age capped 600 class for, for the pro series. So that was called super sport and they called them the premier 600 class Daytona sport bike. If you remember that. So premier 600 class and then the kids class kind of what it was, was age capped at 22, I think. And I was, you know, 19 at the time. So, we went straight into the pro paddock at that point, which, uh, you know, without that class probably would have stuck around doing Weera for a little bit longer. Cause I wasn't really ready, but, um, it got us a great opportunity to go race those tracks, be in that paddock and just kind of see where things went from there. Cause that was a, um, that was a bit of a turning point for the sport too, wasn't it? Like Matt Maladin had just come to the end of his yeah. sort of time. Ben Spees yeah. had just left to go to the world Superbike. Yeah. Um, DMG obviously took it on. It was a big change, wasn't it, at that time? Yeah, it was. It was. Um, it was like big rule changes. The regime was was um, kind of came in and pushed around the manufacturers. And when bike sales dropped off, the manufacturers said, "Screw it." I mean, we're, we're out, you know. So that was kind of a that was a big turning point. And uh, I remember being at my first uh, race at. Um, at Daytona in 2009 and and it was the first race weekend of the DMG era and I remember being in the riders meeting and Matt Maladin was going off <laughs> on uh on the guys and and Ben Bostrom and those guys were like you know you got to put the you got to put the flagger on the on the grass on the infield we can't see him when he's up in the tower and and they just insisted that the that the flagger was going to be in the, in the flag stand way above where nobody could see. And from that point on, it was just, you know, butting heads between riders and teams against the series. And that's, that was just such an unhealthy situation for everybody. 
yeah, it really hurt um, hurt American superbikes. Like it hurt, it hurt the racing yeah. for a while, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Become um, very disjointed, you know. So yeah. Um, when when did you get? <clears throat> what did you go up to? Um, after that, what did you get on to, off the GSXR onto? You must have been on the Harley pretty soon after the twelve hundred. Yeah, the Harley. So in two thousand ten, they announced the XR twelve hundred series, and it was like only five rounds that year. So I did those five rounds on a Richie Morris Geico sponsored Harley, as like a rental ride, and then. Um, 2011 i didn't have anything going and i i got hooked up with richie again at the last minute and uh went and kind of he provided a bike i had to crew it pay for you know everything found found a little bit of sponsorship to get it going i won the first race at daytona that year that was my first pro win and um didn't win another one for another year on my own but that that was the harley kind of I, I still really wanted to race a 600 because i felt like i would i was 21 years old and you know there's other guys that are coming through younger with factory rides and i just felt like i was behind so i always wanted to get back on a 600 but um, the xr series really was where i built a business around and was able to give myself longevity in this sport so you know without that harley series it's hard to say whether i'd still be here Wow. truthfully yeah if if you know this this might sound wrong but did the xr 1200 series at the time too marketability wise was getting a lot more eyes on it than anything really hey as well yeah it was really good because the nature of the class was that they had really good purse money so some other guys that you know some really good names would come and race in that class like we get Danny Eslick, Steve Rapp, Jake Holden, Jeremy McWilliams would come over. You know, I had the Malaysian Hafiz Siren, who is was a MotoGP yeah. rider last. He rode for me in 2013. Like we started getting a lot of people in the class. And as a as a guy who didn't have a name, you know, if I could go in there and beat Steve Rapp or you know one of these established names that's been around forever, it really helped me build a brand you know, around my success. And, um, you know, that was what kind of propelled me into being able to get the sponsorship to eventually when the XR series went away to be able to sustain a race program in a much more expensive class like super sport or super bike. What were the XR 1200s like to ride on when you first got on? I honestly, at first they were terrible because there was not enough development. I mean, they, they hadn't figured out how to stiffen up the, you know, the swing arms and, and suspension and geometry wasn't quite there yet. So they were a handful. Um, mm. But towards the end of the class, I mean, at 2014, I mean, we were doing times, we were four, four or five seconds a lap off of the super sport class. I mean, it's pretty insane in some, some of those racetracks, how quick we were hustling those things around. So um, I, I loved that class. I, I really thought it was a lot of fun. It was a great spec series. It came down to the rider and some of the best battles you have to look up 2013 at the Harley race at Daytona was a, a pack of 14 riders from start to finish huge wow. drafting war. You have to look that on YouTube. Definitely. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Why, um, why are you so good at Daytona? Ah, uh, that's, I, I want to say that I understand the draft really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is about that place, but I, I, you know, from racing flat track and, you know, drafting on the miles and, and really just having a, a, a good sense of strategy and putting myself in the right, in the right spot, especially on the Harleys where it's all about the draft um, and having success there, winning that three times on the Harleys just gave me, you know, confidence to do well on other bikes there. You know, I just, uh, I get along with that place, you know, what it is. Well, when you first went there, what was it like? Like Daytona is a, like from an Australian perspective, looking online, it's a, it's a pretty intimidating place. What, what was it like to ride around the bank in that? It definitely was like that. It's pretty intimidating. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's not like anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I can explain it, it's like when you're in the banking itself, cause you're leaned over, you're almost, you know, perpendicular or you're almost parallel to the ground with your lean angle because the banking is so high and you can't see the end of it. When you go up the, the wall, it seems it's like you're in a loop 
an, a never ending loop is what it looks like because you can't see the, the exit of the corner and you're leaned over so much that it just looks like you're doing constant loop. And, uh, it was something really, uh, really interesting to, to experience for the first time. But, you know, once you understand how to run the, run the, the wall up top and come down at, at the right time and everything, there's nothing quite like it. Yeah, I could, I could imagine it'd be just so, yeah, such a weird feeling, you know, all that G-forces of everything loading up when you get on to them, yeah. you've got to pull away from it, you know, and yeah. I think bike setup would be huge as well for a place like that. It'd be, play a major part. Yeah, well, tires for sure, because, you mm. know, on the banking, you're just, that rear tire is just getting so roasted that they have special compounds, you know, thinner walls and things to, to help disperse the heat. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a good place. So the XR twelve hundred time for you was a good time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And, uh, I think I I won seven. I missed out on the championship twice by by very little. Um, but hey, that's hey, got to keep me hungry. Yeah, definitely. Maybe. What'd you keep chasing? What'd you go to after that? What was what was the next uh, the next thing? Well, when Moto America came on in twenty fifteen, the XR class yep. was was done. So yeah, I wanted to get on a six hundred. So I ended up racing super sport and didn't even get a top five in super sport. I was, I was really struggling to, you know, understand kind of what I needed to do with that bike. And, um, midway through the season, a sponsor of mine got me an R1 and just thought that, you know, we could try to maybe race a super stock class at some point. And, uh, at the end of the season, I decided to ditch the 600 and race the super stock thousand class at New Jersey. And first time out on an R1, I got on the podium and, um, it just so happened that I think the the thousand just, just fit me a little bit better. And I just understood a little bit more how to get the most out of it. And, um, from there we just said, Hey, why not just go to Superbike in 2016 and, uh, with basically a super stock bike, but just go to super bike and then just try to make this a long-term commitment and add parts as I go, try to grow it, get sponsors and just keep it going. And, and, um, it's been a slow build basically five years since then to where we are now. When you jumped on that R1 in 15, was that the previous R1, like the nine, 2009 to 14 model, or was that the new 15? It was a new 15. The new 15. Yeah, it was a new 15. That would have been a lot more comfortable than the nine to 14 if you jumped on that. Yeah. Yeah, I've so. ridden one. I rode one quite a bit in 2014 at uh, just at the schools and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, the, the 15 bike was definitely a step. Yeah, definitely. They refined it a lot more. Hey, like the nine to 14 was still a good bike, but just a bit of – Bit of an animal compared, hey? Yeah, for sure. Yep. And um, okay, so you went on that onto the superbike for Moto America, and it all sort of Moto America sort of evolved into like a different thing at that point. Obviously, it became Moto America, but the sport became um, somewhat back to what it was prior in a better way. Hey, it's great to hear, you know, because we're we're so close to it. It's hard to it's hard to know what it you know, how the, how our series looks abroad and how, how we kind of compare to other national series or even against world Superbike. Cause back in the day, you know, it was AMA Superbike was, was rated higher than world Superbike, you know, for, for, sure. for a lot of years. And that's where everybody wanted to be. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a really, they've done a great job. I mean, Chuck and Wayne, Wayne Rainey helping run the series. I mean, those guys have a great vision for it. And, um, the level is really high. I think, um, the level took a big step when Tony Elias came and mm. smoked everybody the first couple of rounds. It was like, okay, all right, somebody's going to have to step up and, and try to try to beat this guy. And over those, you know, last four years or so, Cameron Bobier has gotten so good that he's, he's untouchable in our series. So mm. it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. The level, I think, um, you know, Garrett Gerloff showing the level right now in world Superbike by putting his thing on the podium over there in his rookie year. And, and Cameron, I believe is, is, is riding at an even higher level here than Garrett was when he left. Garrett's gotten so good this year. Cameron's on his way to moto two. And I think the future's bright for us in the world championship, but it's kind of open season now in moto America. So 
it's uh it's gonna be good it's um it, and, and like I, we hear the saying here i don't know if you hear it there but the sport's doing good if there's americans doing good around the world in the sport because like there's been the areas of obviously um you know when kevin swans wayne rainey were there um eddie lawson obviously prior to that uh john hopkins uh, obviously kenny roberts kenny roberts jr when the, when they're there, there's a lot there, there's a lot more eyes on the sport. Say MotoGP, um, so it's it's good for the sport to have have some people there and seeing Bobier get the ride in Moto Two next year as well is pretty cool. Yeah, it's good. I think he's going to do really well. I, I think sure. uh, I think it's going to be maybe a little bit shocking to some how well he's going to do. If if I if I mean he uh, he's on another level over here and. Um, it's been kind of funny because it's been a little bit of a, a roadblock for some guys here because he's raised a level, but unless he leaves, you know, we got to beat him to get, get over there. You know what I mean? So True. it's, uh, it's kind of, uh, it, it's good that he's going to go over there. He's going to do well. He's going to show that the Americans are, uh, you know, back at a high level. It's good to see. And like, if you looked at your year this year on the V4R, like it's yourself, um, Cameron, Tony Elias, uh, Jack Gagne, when you come back, um, sort of that's the sort of top five around it, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I mean, we were we were there at times, you know, when when um, when our you know lack of preparation didn't get us caught out in some yeah. some cases. Um, we're, we're trying to operate on that level. It takes a lot. It takes a lot yeah. of resources to 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 run with those guys um, week in and week out. You can do it once. You know, you can do it on a weekend. You can get, you know, we, we got a couple podiums earlier in the season. Mm. Um, we weren't able to get back there throughout the year, but, um, you know, quite a few top fives and, you know, it's all, it's all right in there, man. I mean, Cameron put the beat on all of us this year, but, you know, from second on pretty tight, I think uh, second to sixth at Laguna qualifying the last round was two tenths of a second between us. So you erase Cameron from that and you got the, the top five within two tenths. Um, you know, so I think there's, it, it bodes well for the competition we're going to have next year. So trying to put myself in a good position. Well, sure. So what's, uh, what's racing Laguna Seca like? Uh, it's a great track. It's, it's kind of up there like, like Daytona is or Indianapolis. It just has that, has that, that feel when you, when you show up there, it's like, yeah, this is the place, you know, um corkscrew turn one rainy curve all that stuff just it's a great track um just a proper racetrack you know we got Mm. definitely a few of them but uh when you talk about places like coda indy laguna those are places you kind of circle on the calendar because you just can't wait to go there yeah I, i must say your calendar is a pretty cool calendar like if you look at the world of sports you go okay that's pretty cool that's pretty cool. Uh, Road America, that'd be pretty cool. Um, yeah, you got yeah. some good ones along the way. Yeah, it's good. I, I think uh, we're hopefully going to make it to Coda regardless this coming year. I think mm-hmm. uh, you know MotoGP's trying to work out whether they can uh, they can come or not based on you know everything that's happened in the world still. Yeah. But uh, if if GP can't make it, I think we might still have a standalone race at Coda, which would be good because we missed out on it this year. And for yourself on the V4R, that'd be a um, a good bike on a track like that too, wouldn't it? I, I think so. Yeah, like those those more kind of GP wider flowing racetracks are better, like Indianapolis, Laguna, Road yep. America. Um, yeah, Coda would be good for us for sure if we can get there on it. Because um, I rode the bike there last year, but the bike was so stock that uh, you know we can't even use data from it. So. Mm. Um, be good to go there. I think uh, we may have a preseason test there as well. We'll see. Because everything came, um, and, and you'll you'll know this better than I will. But the, everything came pretty late with the with the V4s for twenty nineteen. You know, when everyone yeah. got their got their bikes. Or, uh, so it was like rush, rush, rush. Let's get it together and let's get it onto a track and see where we go. Yeah, I got my bikes uh, March first, and we yeah. raced April fifth. Yeah. It it's was not just, long. 
no, it was insane. So, yeah. so what did you come off before that? Did you come off the R1 straight onto the Ducati or do you have something yep. in between? Yep. No, it was on the R1 up until that point. So, um, what was the decision yeah. process with that? End of 2018, I just wanted to make a change. You mm. know, I wanted to do something different. I wanted something that was, um, you know, not just another Yamaha on the grid because we have a lot of Yamahas and um, something that would be marketable. And I was looking at the BMW. I was looking at the Kawasaki. And I was looking at the Ducati, but kind of in a very, you know, pie in the sky type of, you know, that'd be cool if, you know, I could somehow do that, but I don't see it being possible, especially with how late the bike was coming. And uh, I had a deal to go into, to run a Kawasaki and then it kind of all fell apart mid January. And at the time I was working with a local Ducati dealership and they had been kind of staying on the idea of me racing a Ducati and they got the okay from Ducati North America to request the first two production v4r's off the line and they uh that's what they did so i uh paid for the air freight and we got the first two production v4r's they came off the line and and, uh they were supposed to go to another country and then they reassigned them to the u.s and off they went they showed up and uh they're yeah. supposed to come here. <laughs> they might have. Never know. So yeah, we got two of them, and uh, yeah, very early production, mm. production V4Rs, and and uh, they showed up here, and and we got to work as quickly as we could. For sure, and they they're a beautiful machined bike, aren't they? They are. Yeah, it's a pretty awesome machine. The um. What was it like going from the R1 to that? Was it a good transition straight away or did did, did it take a bit of time? Um, I mean, it took time only because we didn't have a race bike to start with. I mean, we were just Mm. adding parts as as we could. You know, nothing's available. We're machining stuff ourselves, trying to, you know, figure out what what the best route is for electronics and everything. And and we ran the thing with the stock electronics with the key taped under the gas tank for the first four races. You know, because it just there just wasn't anything available for us at the time. So um, the transition, I got to kind of grow with the bike, you know, and mm-hmm. that was kind of that was kind of nice, you know, in a way, because I took it from a stock motorcycle and step by step, I grew with it into what we have now, which is a pretty full blown superbike. So it's, um, you know, it's been a fun transition. But it's definitely different than an R1. It's a little bit narrower. It does things differently. The wings actually play a factor in a lot of places. Um, it's it's uh, it's a pretty raw motorcycle, fun to ride. Mm. Now, like you can feel the wings. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. A um, couple spots like Road America, we come up the front straightaway hill and it crests and. Uh, Usually you got to, you know, electronics, you got to at least, you know, at least stand on the rear brake a little bit or take power out because you got to, you got to mitigate the wheelie there. But on the V4R, man, it's full stick, full power, no rear brake. The thing just, you know, stays grounded up over the hill with that downforce. Um, There's a couple other examples at a couple other tracks where there's, there's at least a 10th or two there in time by, by not having to take power away or, or, or give back some throttle or stand on the rear brake. So it's, it's definitely actually makes a difference. That's cool. Like, especially a place like road America, where you've got the hill on the straight, you can tell each time, like it's, you know, Laguna, for instance, where you're coming over the hill, you're on full, full lean as well. Yeah. So it'd be a bit harder to tell, but going along a straight, you're going to know that's yeah. what it is, I guess. Yeah. It's harder to tell. I mean, I, I'd love to do a test where we take them off and put them back on and take them off. But I mean, mm based on the rules, you actually have to run them. So it's, it's not really worth doing. We just kind of, you know, take it as it is. So what is the current rules for a superbike in Moto America? What are you, what are you allowed to do? It's right aligned with the uh, world superbike rules, except for gearbox. That's wow. the only difference. So full blown Magneti Morelli systems, swing arms, forks, you know, whatever you can get. And uh, we have to use stock gear ratios, whereas world superbike can, dedicate a you know they have to dedicate a gear ratio you know to the sanctioning body but they can change it from stock ratios so that's the only difference wow so you're a full factory bike pretty much 
as close as I can get. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you look at um, British supers, a bit different, right? Uh, you look at yeah, like every 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 um, every zone has their own sort of ruling, so it's really interesting to see. But uh, yeah, was it a big change when you got the Morelli system on from stock? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely different from stock. I mean, you know, you can corner by corner, you know, adjust things, trash control, torque mapping. Um, you know, you can do anything and, and change things per gear, per corner, per part of the corner. It's uh, pretty sophisticated. So, yeah. Coming from flat track, do you think that's a good thing? Or do you, is it is there too much or is there never too much? What do you think? Uh, I, I'm for it. I mean, all the technology, I mean, you still got to, you still got to spin the thing up mid corner and get it pointed. I mean, yep. there's, there's so much in it still. I think uh, to the to the layman or the general public, they don't realize that you know trash control doesn't mean that you can just you know do whatever you want with a thing. You know you need enough power allowed for the thing to spin and get pointed off the corners, and you know you're still making up most of your time by being brave on the brakes anyway. So you know there's not a whole lot in it. Even you know when you think about the BSB system where there's no rider aids they're still torque mapping. They're still pulling power out. They're still having to map everything for the tracks and utilize electronics guys and the riders, you know, still can have that little bit there to, uh, to help them. So, I mean, it's just, you know, you got these high horsepower motorcycles, they're heavy. Um, you know, it's just the way of the world. I mean, the bikes come with these rider aids on them from the factory now. So that's how it is now. It's made them so it's so good to ride too, you know. Yes. Like if you if you get put if you put somebody on your brand new Ducati V4R on the street, they've got their license straight away, on like race mode. It is absolutely, it might scare most people, you know, mm -hmm. like first time. But yeah. you can tame it right down. You can, there's so much you can do to make it safer for people to to jump on the yeah. first time, you know. It's even you now there's people that have the, the, the standard V4, the V4S with the 1100 yep. engine. And even for me, the first time I rode it on a racetrack, just in stock form, yep. the, the full power mode was too much. Wow. I went, you know, I put it on the medium power mode where it keeps full power on a straightaway, but, you know, takes some power out off the corners. I went two seconds a lap faster. Is that so, right? Yep. Yep. So, I mean, it's not all about just, you know, as much power as you can put to the ground. You'd be amazed how tame we make these bikes mid corner off the corner to mm. make them rideable where you can actually, you know, have some adjustability. And that's what electronics guys are for these days is making these things rideable. Mm. It's such a big, such a big part of it. Are you on a control tire there? Yep. Dunlop. Dunlop. How was it going to the Dunlop control? Good. Yeah, I mean, I don't know any different. That happened all in 2009, back when DMG came on. So, oh, so it's been know, the I've, same evolution of, of Dunlop. Yep, same evolution. And it's always been a US made tire. So, not the ones that uh, like Moto 2 tires are made in France. Yep. Um, we use tires that are made in Buffalo, New York, about an hour from where I was born. So, it's kind of cool, you know, that we have, you know, an American company building all our tires here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know much different as far as Moto America goes, but I raced on Pirelli's when we won the Daytona 200. So that was something a little bit different. Um, but yeah, as far as like really the tire wars and racing against, I mean, is there a spec tire in uh, Australian Superbike? No, no, there's not. It's uh, yeah. predominantly Pirelli people use, mm -hmm. um, but we've just got Michelin's just developed a new tire. And uh, Michelin's just starting to come into it. Uh, have you heard of a, a name of uh, Jeremy Burgess? He used to be Valentino Rossi's crew yeah. chief for yeah, many years. Of course, he's yeah. he's he's become a tire tech for our local Honda Superbike team here. Oh, so cool. with Michelin, yeah. so it'll be interesting to see. People have been Pirelli and Dunlop for a long time here, mm -hmm. um, but uh, the Michelin. It's our last round of our Superbikes this weekend, so it'd be interesting to see how it goes. Um, okay, our our series had. Round one in at World Superbike Weekend, which was the last weekend of February. Yeah, and, and now, it's been and now you're having... round two 
today. <laughs> so yeah, wow. it's a, been a long time. So um, wow. between, so yeah, so double header round two and three over this weekend. So yeah. interesting to see how Josh it goes. Hayes over there, didn't you? Yeah, Josh Hayes came over and did the uh, yeah. did a wild card at the start of the year. Yeah, yeah, that's which right. is cool. Yeah. So yeah, you ever been here? Nope. No. No, never have. Yeah, it's a good good I, place. Uh, yeah, no, I just. <clears throat> just hasn't worked out of I've, I've, uh, I've talked to Jason Pridmore quite a bit about coming over and doing the Island classic, mm. but, uh, it's always just, it's right in the middle of preparation for our season. So, uh, yeah. it's never worked out, but I, I hope to make it out there sometime. Have they released the schedule for 2021 for you guys? Yeah. 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 Yep. We have most of it. We have eight rounds. So we've got, you know, our normal kind of rotation Coda, Atlanta, VIR, Road America, then we head west and go to Washington, the Ridge, uh, Laguna, come yeah. back over New Pittsburgh, Jersey, Barber, and we, we make one sweep west and, and back to the east. Wow. And that's a huge, such a huge place. Like Australia's big as well, but it's such a huge series, yours. Yeah. Um, team ownership. <clears throat> do you do you drive the truck? Do you what what tell us about your team? What happens? Drive the truck. Uh, I've got a full-time guy, Dave Hopkinson. He won the BSB championship in 2018 with Leon Haslam. Mm. And uh, he, so he's he's my full-time guy, and he's working on prepping bikes and, and the rig and everything. And he's coming out here this weekend again to spend some time with me. So he's, he's my right-hand man. He's taking care of uh, all the technical stuff and parts orders and inventory and everything. And and I'm, we're just working on really sales and marketing right now and just trying to, uh, you know, get our sponsorship together and our budget together for next year. And, um, yeah, I mean, I book all the travel, logistics, PR, do all the sales, train, ride. Um, yeah, I mean, throughout the season, drive the rig. Um, but got a, bought the trailer that has living quarters, so kind of live in the rig during the race weekend, so I'm not going back and forth to a hotel which has been really nice. And um, yeah, from there, man, just going racing, just doing what I got to do. Living the dream. Yeah, that's right. It's a, um, yeah, it's a pretty cool thing to see because there'd be, I guess there'd be a, a whole lot of races that'd be flying between the rounds. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit, it's it's a different way to do it, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's, it's great to, you know, we've driven a lot more this year just because of COVID and everything. So it's been, it's been good to, to see the country again and just kind of, you know, try to leave early for races and just take our time and, you know, driving. I mean, it's, we have so many different regions and terrain and areas in, in our country mm. that it's, it's so cool to, to be able to kind of, you know, see different places. And, um, I didn't do the drive from the Ridge to Jersey, uh, this year, it's about 52 hours drive. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad did that one, but I'm I'm planning on doing that one next year and go through Yellowstone and you know Rockies and all that and uh, just watch the terrain change as you go west to east. Fifty two hours, DJ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go racing. Yeah. It's a long way. Yeah, yeah. It's um, funny. Dave, Dave thought six hours was a long way from the BSB paddock. You know, be. going to the next round. They fit yeah. their entire series in the state of Texas here, so. Yeah, it's so funny, and we're 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 similar to America in that way. Like, uh, yeah. So you know, our our round up here that we have is it's the only one that we have in Queensland where I am. Uh, the the other rounds are all at least what, what do you call it? Probably twelve twelve hundred miles, pretty much mm-hmm. at least you know thousand miles to twelve hundred miles, pretty much everything. So it's still yeah. a fair fair journey. Yeah, sure. Um, t- team ownership is it a good thing in this current time? That's a good question. Um, you know, it's it's definitely tough. Um, you know, if sponsors are pulling back. Mm. Um, some had good years this year. Some had bad years this year. Um, so it's just working through some of that stuff. And, you know, there was definitely a, um, a couple sponsors that were supposed to come on this season that didn't when everything kind of fell apart. So, you know, there was, there was for sure some struggles there. But... Um, I really enjoy being accountable for my own success, Mm. you know, um, 
it's it's not all sunshine and rainbows you know what i mean but uh you know if i have success or if i fail it will be you know by my own account and i think that's uh that's just not really a choice i've made it's just something that you know how everything's gone in my racing career um every year i for sure look for other opportunities to go and just be a rider and see what that would be like mm. you know but um it always turns out that I'm back right here and uh, doing my thing. And, you know, we continue to grow and improve every year. So there's really uh, there's no reason why we can't find our way to the front if I can uh, keep growing this program. So it would be ultra rewarding if we can win Superbike races or, or maybe win a Superbike championship with KWR. That's the goal. Be huge. Tell me about 6 Day Helmets. Those guys are awesome. Yeah, I've been working with those guys since 2016 when they first came out with their helmet. And uh, pretty early on, um, the helmet was a little big at first, and we were working on it and developing. You know, I was kind of their lead, you know, superbike rider on the street side, developing the function of the helmet. The safety was always there in their technology that they have with their isolation dampers and their ODS. And, um, really helped them give feedback so they can develop a good helmet. And I've been in it since, since then, um, had a couple big things to the head that, uh, could have been a lot worse. Um, that, uh, you know, saw some pretty quick recovery and actually have some data showing, you know, some concussions I've had with their helmet versus others that it, it's proven it's worth to me for sure. Wow. Cause they, they've really changed the game in the dirt, in the dirt world. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, the road world starting to come, starting to feed through. Yeah, they're getting there. It's uh, yeah. it was good to have Cameron Bobier in a six D helmet this year. Um, mm. So we were we were both running it in uh, in Moto America. So, um, yeah, those guys are awesome. They're really paving the way, making other brands kind of look at their technology and and realize they need to improve. It takes it takes something like that to improve too, doesn't it? You know, like a, it's a complete uh, a revolution of design uh, instead yep. of it's been uh, evolutions. Just keep evolving the products, you know, yep. it, it was a big change. Sure. So yeah. tell me a good day in racing life. What's been a really good day? Winning the Daytona 200 Straight for sure. Away. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, and right up there with it is is getting a podium on this Ducati this year. Um, just that's that's all i do everything for all the the nights sitting here at my desk designing stuff or sending out emails or you know crossing off another potential sponsor who said no you know or whatever it is it's um it's all for those moments as a rider when i get to to have a good day on the bike and um man there's nothing nothing like it so you know those are the good days and and you know, they, they come and go pretty quick, so you better enjoy them. And, uh, and, uh, you know, just, if you crave more, just keep working, working for more of them. Very cool. So, what's yeah. the, um, what's the plan for next year? You keep, are you, are you keeping the 19 before hours? Do you just keep freshening them up or what's happening there? Yeah. Everything always turns over. I mean, new engines, new parts, new frames. Yep. It's just kind of a working bundle of parts. Um, so the bike's not changing for this coming year. So it's every, everything's pretty simple as far as, as re-upping and we've got plenty of parts to roll over into next season. So, um, trying to improve where we can, trying to go to a, a newer fork spec, try to do, you know, a couple things to put us in a better position to be consistent, have the same bike each weekend. That's kind of the plan. Just keep it, keep it growing. Um, you know, getting in the Ducati thing. I mean, it's a three to five year commitment. I mean, that's, mm. that's what I knew going into it. So we're here to stay and keep building it and uh, try to grow it into something even better. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there was no Ducatis in the field when you got this, was there? No, not for eight, nine years. So, Isn't that crazy? Like a brand yeah. that's got such a rich history in superbike racing. Yeah. Um, you know, the twin was a lot to, to maintain yeah. and, and – um, there was such good support from Yamaha and, you know, Suzuki in this country that it just made sense to, to go that route because you could get help. You could get help from other teams. It was very difficult to, uh, to kind of pave your own path. And, 
I guess I was the guy who was who was gonna be the first one to to try to do it, and uh, you know pulled it together last year, kind of on a whim. But uh, it's cool to see other Ducati V4Rs now joining the series, and I think that um, you know people see that it's possible to to run a program with that bike. Very cool. What's your um? Who looks after your video work? Uh, it's Gray Fam. He's a uh, great yeah. He's he's awesome. He does a lot of really good work around the Moto America series and Supercross, and he's 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 everywhere doing all sorts of stuff. So he he uh, filmed and produced and edit, edited the Undeterred series mm-hmm. from this year, all twelve episodes. So yeah, he's been he's been hard at work for me this year. Well, I hope you continue it because it's cool. Like it's and I know he does James Raspoli stuff as well. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's really neat, it's very cinematic, and. Uh, yeah, it's good to see someone i think that's part of it too uh, i said this to some people the other day it's good to see uh, around the world everyone get you getting to be able to tell your own brand sort of thing yeah yeah no it's it's been good just just trying to show the story because i think it's a unique story yeah. you know kind of the way i'm trying to do it so i think um you know it's good to tell that story and and show people you know if you got to work hard at what you want you know that's yeah. that's kind of the whole the whole idea so yeah i think we can keep it going for next year we'll see if we maybe rename it or do something a little bit different or take a little bit different approach but it was definitely a hit a lot of people uh a lot of positive responses from it no, that's cool well, tell me about uh, king of the baggers like you're at laguna Seca, obviously what was it like to watch i mean as a guy who grew up around harley's i i, I liked it i enjoyed it my brother raced it he, he raced the turbocharged one mm. um it was great i mean it's cool to see other brands that uh wouldn't ever be in our paddock yep. come into our paddock you know harley davidson indian motorcycle um with real proper efforts you know to yeah. make to make it uh i thought it was great i thought uh you know, it'd be cool to see if Indian can produce a fleet of them or Harley can produce a fleet of them and try to get something going. Cause uh, I think that there's a lot of potential in that. I mean, you're seeing it over there, right? Sure. Yeah. I've seen yeah. it and I've seen the number of eyes that were on it and oh, yeah. I've seen the lap times the lap times were, what were they doing? Low, the fastest one were low 30, low thirties at Laguna, I think. Yeah. Like 34s or 34s? something, I think. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they, went quicker no than joke. a couple uh stock thousand guys i mean yeah, yeah it's no joke tyler hayden those guys are pretty quick guys and uh yeah good bikes yeah i i i'm all for it i seen it i thought wow this is pretty cool different sets of eyes and it also brings other eyes onto superbike you know yeah. different people yeah, that never sure. would have seen it so for sure well mate we'll wrap it up there we've um we've done pretty much an hour on that so um thank you so much for coming on you'll have to come to australia right and bring the um Bring the v4s over so yeah <laughs> cool so do something man we come over for uh to have a gp try to come over for gp or world superbike or something or yeah. yeah we'll just have to see yeah the seasons are just so uh like island classics always the last weekend of january which is when you're obviously in your mm-hmm. main time world yeah. superbikes always february last weekend of february yeah so same deal and then the gp is the second last weekend of october every year right uh, so it's yeah. sort of very hard to um hard for you to come over i guess as well yeah yeah well we'll, we'll make it over there at some point so. fantastic well mate right thank on, you man. so much for your, for your time on everything today and uh yeah i'll have to uh we'll catch up with you soon sure thing man appreciate cool. it